This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Hey everybody, this is Craig Custance welcoming, welcoming Sean Gentili and you, listener, to the Athletic Hockey Show. Oh, Sean, you ready to jump in? Hey, hey, Craig, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. How are you? I'm here to welcome you. Hey, hey, everybody, this is the second to last episode of the American Edition Tuesday Boys Athletic Hockey Show ever. Second to last. That's not true. We have this show. That's not true. We have <laughs> July 11th when we're doing the awards that you all nominate. So, by the way, listener, if you haven't gone into the comment section of the app of one of our episodes and given us a suggestion for a American-themed hockey award, which we'll be giving out at a live event in Vegas on July 11th <laughs> with actual <laughs> players showing up to accept, Right. We got that lined up in time, didn't That's we? Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eichel, Eichel got back okay, to me. Okay, good, good. Did Joe Pavelski, the real he's, question he's is in. the Dallas Stars and Joe Pavelski, <laughs> because he's up for three awards. Star, stars are, the Stars are sending all, all their guys, mm-hmm. Robertson, Pavelski, Ottinger. They're like, hey, yeah, you can have uh-huh. um, so that. So first of all, get those nominations in. And second, just, hey, savor this, show because you might be going all summer long or ever. As far as I'm concerned, stop I don't, saying we don't that. Know, Sean, it's, it's not because we got to talk at the draft, and I'm, I meant to tell you, I, I put some time on your calendar <laughs> to talk at the draft in Nashville about shut the future up. of the athletic hockey shut, show. Shut up. Mm. So, hey, this is way too long into the intro to say what we have going today. But Patrick O'Sullivan joins us. Patrick O'Sullivan. It's the 20 year anniversary of what I'm willing to say. A lot of people are saying it. The best draft of all time. The 2003 draft. And so, producer Jeff lines up Patrick, and we go a little bit down memory lane in in that draft, and it was a lot of fun. Like that, that just a great idea by Jeff, and Patrick was amazing. That's sec- the second segment. Here's how good mm. he was. We didn't even bring up the photo. Yeah, we did. It, it I, bar- five seconds. It barely in. came up. He didn't like. You think I didn't initially have like six minutes blocked out to talk yeah. about that? I was going to have him rank all the people's haircuts in it, whatever. It was not necessary. He gave us everything we needed on a whole bunch of stuff about his work as a as a skills coach. All it was, the, it was he was awesome. Um, th- have we done? Has anybody done like the spread layout of that photo with arrows explaining each person and like the story behind it? Like, has has that happened at like ESPN the magazine or the Athletic? I think it. I think it's something that probably happened news? when those guys okay. were. I think that's something that probably happened when those guys were in their primes, like 10 years ago, when they were really still, you know, had to, had to run over the league. Because um, by then, because by then the hairstyles were far enough back, out though, for people to laugh. If I showed that them. to my kids, they'd be like, hey, was this, was this uh, taken the other day at the high school? In the, uh, no, no joke. I'm assuming Cormac's working on a Eric Stahl <laughs> level, like front shag or whatever he definitely <laughs> is for sure i'm not i'm not i'm being front I know, is I'm, I'm, and and uh if i could get, if he could get frosted tips if i would allow it he probably would do it you gotta stand firm on that one you gotta do him a favor i do a lot of that a lot of just defense i'm like just, just like 
She's like, buddy, here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to be in college. You're going to be, you're going to bring someone home mm-hmm. to meet us. And yeah. The good thing. Is- we're going to have one less bit of ammo to, to throw <laughs> at you. Like, which, but he, the middle school, he's going into middle school. They do not care about any of that. They're like, I, no, I, I won't, I won't regret any of this. I'm like, yeah, you will. Hey, Same. Peter Laviolette is going to be announced today. The worst secret in hockey, uh, New York Rangers hiring Peter Laviolette. Sean, I know this. <laughs> I know this this hiring really bothers you. A, I'm who, gonna I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill you. Sean Sean gets so mad about the recycled coaches. I for one think Peter Laviolette is the most qualified candidate for the Rangers job. Who'd you want who'd you want to get again? W- once again, my takes are being confused with those of Shana oh, Goldman. I don't really care. Yeah, because everyone's like, wow, look at this really smart, trenchant observation from Sean. And I have to say, actually, that was Shana. Maybe because 90% time, of your bylines it, are with Shana. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> it's not true. Shot talk. 90% of, my byline, <laughs> 90% of my bylines are with Dom and Russo. Um, the shoe's on the other foot now, huh. my friend. Because I can, I can say that I'm... I'm not the anti, like, I hire hire people for their second or third jobs. I don't care. Sometimes it's the right call. Sometimes, you know, the situation dictates a person like Peter Laviolette getting hired. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And it's a, it's a case by case basis. I know that's like a milk toast take, but. That's what we're here know, for. Do you really? That's- <laughs> <laughs> it's the home of milk toast takes. And inside jokes about our workplace. Um, that who who else would you want hiring? Or, uh, there was coaching no that, honestly. That like our Rangers fans, man. Do you want like Ranger? I think they probably are because they they probably felt like at the outset they were getting Mike Sullivan or something, and it feels uh, like somehow you're settling here. Which never were. Was never going to happen. Not ever. Yeah. Never. 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 But it, so, um, Pete, no, you go ahead. Th- they have stuff they should be mad about. Things aren't going well there. It seems like there's Dolan meddling happen. Mm-hmm. I think people can connect the dots as to what's going on at the top of that organization. Their fans should be pissed for sure. But in terms of the hire that they made there, I, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. We've seen Peter Laviolette come into situations like that. Yes, it's in the increasingly distant past at this point. But I think his track record, his approach, it makes sense yeah. if you're if you're if you're if you're gonna fire Gerard Gallant, and if and if Plan A is gonna be this pie in the sky nonsense of them getting Mike Sullivan away from from the Pittsburgh Penguins, which is again never gonna happen, not ever, never, not once. Um, if if Plan B is Peter Laviolette, eh, it's fine. Could have been worse. Now you said you don't mind guys getting their second and third job. This is his sixth, but that's fine. Whatever. Because uh, I, I, honestly, I don't mind it. How many times he's been employed as a head coach since two thousand, the two thousand two thousand one? No, excuse me, the two thousand one two thousand two season. How many times do you think he's missed the playoffs? So we're going on whatever it is, twenty plus years. Okay, so it happened once with the Caps. Mm-hmm. Um, did it happen at the end with the Preds? I know the Preds have have very. I probably happened once with the Preds. I'm saying three. Yeah, you got the the you know he gets so the year he gets fired uh, or excuse mm-hmm. me I, I was actually corrected by somebody in Washington about this they they didn't fire him they just split they decided they, to, 
Not renew is. Yeah, gee whiz. Who, who, do you th- who do you think corrected you on that one? I don't know, Sean. Um, <laughs> What's the topic of your new book, actually? Nashville. I, don't, I can't. We're not allowed to talk about it. Simon and Schuster's <laughs> put it on lockdown. <laughs> I'm no longer allowed. We will announce it when we're ready, folks. Uh, Nashville. Nashville. Uh, last year, he didn't. His last year in Philly, he didn't. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like the final year. Oh. They get sick of him. And it and it stops working, and then he leaves and goes somewhere else, and it yeah. works again. No, I'm even reading this wrong. I think I think you missed more than that because hockey TV is labeling things weird. But he tends to do well. His like even Washington's two years. Re- I think the prince. I think the principal yeah, stands he, he's, right he's where it's coach. like he's he like the Capitals who, who you know whatever we think of him. He they were 44 and 26 a year ago. Like with whatever fumes they're running on over Lot- there. Lots of injuries, lots of um, lots of injuries, and then and then Brian McClellan wisely, I mean, hit the button, smashed hit the, it. Hit the trade deadline, and was like, was like, okay, this isn't working this year. And the end result was he got a shitload of draft picks in Rasmus Sandin. So way to go, good job, smart move. But that team, <laughs> did they absolutely suck out loud? After the holidays, like basically from Jan one on for there sure. There was a point they were actually pretty good, wasn't there what this year? Like they were, I think they were like they started off the season decent, like in an alternate release. They started reality. off okay. They had they had some injuries. Charlie Lindgren bailed them out big time for a few weeks there, kind of kept them afloat. And then once the calendar flipped, they were they were uh junk. But you know, it happens. There there's not a ton of talent on that team to begin with at at this point. They're they're cycling through and Trying to trying to start yeah. over and seemed like doing a half decent job at it. So whatever, it was t- it was time to go. Yeah. All right. Before we get to Patrick O'Sullivan, uh, we shouldn't even delay this at all. But you wrote with Mike Russo instead of Shane. I was surprised she wasn't around. Or <laughs> you don't even know what's going on in in your own in your own sec. Come on. I know. I know. I know. You're like seven lat seven layers above me now. But come on. Um, you wrote what I thought was a really cool concept. Uh, you ranked the salary cap era franchises by using a point system. So to break it down for you folks, 11 points if you want to stay on the cup, 5 points if you lost in the final, 3 points if you made it to a conference final and lost, and 1 point for making the playoffs. And you totaled it up. Mm-hmm. And I will say, go ahead. Cheat, great call. I'll I'll kill the joke now. This is something you did for a couple of years back, way way back in 2021 when you uh, decided to, when you graced us with your writing, <laughs> low those many years ago, and now in 2023 you told someone to tell someone to tell someone to tell someone to tell Russo to tell me to work on this. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm just trying to get you free <laughs> sub views and, and subscribes. Um, well, guess what? Guess what, brother? The results are in. I think it's starting good. to work. The best team. So this it was. Is, it was. Fu- it was. Yeah. It was. It was more fun to. It was. It was. Um. I think it was illustrative in in a lot of ways. On honestly, there was there was yeah. some movement. So what, what's interesting about this to me? A. It just kind of resets. Like we, we, you get caught in your head of like what a good franchise is in this stretch of like what's recently happened, yeah. and you're like, oh wait, there's actually been like a, a, like I when I looked at the list, the first thing that jumped out to me, the Ducks are sixth, like the sixth best team, and you, you, you get caught up in oh it's been hasn't been well for a while there, and you're like. Oh, they've actually had a really good run. Maybe, maybe that we should be giving them more credit. And they also didn't win enough. They were like the second best team in the league a couple of times in that stretch. So 
there's some surprises in there. Um, I always like these exercises. Like this is this is my favorite thing where I could pull out a ranking where it wasn't my fault when people were mad. I was just like, this is yep. completely subjective. This is it. Um, and blame the spread. Blame, blame the like, spreadsheets. Is, why yeah, don't you? This is it's the model. Fine. Uh, so it, I, I like no surprise to me at the top. You know, if you're if you're it's Pittsburgh one. I'm, we're not going to run through it, but it's the team. It's Pittsburgh and Tampa and Chicago. All these teams that have won multiple cups in this era. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was surprised that Detroit is hanging on in the top six. How good were they it's an for indi- so long that the, the the Red Wings haven't really been relevant in a playoff discussion since the Seven launch of the years. Athletic? I can tell you that. That's yeah. We launched the Athletic Detroit, and we're like, you know what we're going to do? Yeah. We're going to ride the yeah, Red the, Wings. The, da- the data to back it up. We're going to yeah. ride the success of the Red Wings right to uh, startup glory, and then they just they've been in perpetual rebuild. I think it's an indicator of how good they were for the first eleven or twelve years of the Cup era, and I think it's a it's an indictment of the quality of the rest of the league. Like, there's so mm-hmm. many teams there based on this formula that you know you cooked up a few years ago which i think is is correct by the way that you don't want to just reward playoff appearances all that much like give them a point for getting in fine but you know you don't want to you don't want to overdo it it's biased towards actual measurable success which it should be in a league where until very recently more than half of the teams made the postseason so fine but I think whenever you have so many teams year after year, they're getting like w- one point out of a potential eleven and whatever else, and then maybe they take a break and and uh, and and miss the next year. You know, it's just a recipe for mediocrity. So when so they're not going to catch up. Teams like that aren't going to catch up to you know the Wings or uh, the Ducks or teams that have had real ultimate success over the course of the last you know, 18 yeah. seasons or, 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 or however long, however long it's been. And it is funny to look at this, like Russo, like me and Russo were, were once we had the, the calculations finished, we went through and Russo was like, Oh my God, the, the, the ducks are, ducks are six. Like, she's like yeah. and I'm like, I got to read. I don't check what, the spreadsheet. What do you, what do you want, man? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. There it is. There it is, buddy. I think so. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's and interesting. So I, and I don't want you, I mean, you're giving me credit for cooking it up. I just, as I did everything, stole it from somebody else. Bob Sturm had done this in the NFL. He's been doing it for years in the NFL, uh, kind of Super Bowl rankings. And so it kind of just came, cooked the numbers to, as I was accused of back then by Leafs fans of trying to create something where the Leafs were last, because I think they were at the bottom of this, you know, when I was doing it. Um, I, I think the most impressive thing to me is that you have a team in the Vegas Golden Knights in the top 10 that mm-hmm. didn't exist for how much of the mm-hmm. cap era, like a large percentage of it. And while we're talking about this, just so people who haven't actually seen the post can, you know, get an idea of the point system. It's very simple. You get 11 for winning the, point the cup. System. You get, yeah, you said that? I don't pay attention when you're talking. Well, yeah, let's run through it again. Hey. I love that. Wait, so, so, so you took shit a couple years ago because they thought they devised it, it because it was like, this is a system that's meant to, that's meant to reward playoff success, and people are saying, "Well, you're all, of course." Well, yeah. if if that's your rubric, then then you're trying to yeah, screw it the was Leafs. clickbait. That's unbelievable. Unbe- unbe- what is self own? You you did this. You did this so you could put the Leafs last to sell subscriptions. I'm like, yep, yeah. I had them not lose, win a playoff round. You got us. They're tied for 28. Still, gosh, still. Just just an inch ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets dynasty. All right. Way to go. So, 
because I want to get to Patrick O'Sullivan and I don't want to linger here too much, but it's a fun. So what you, you basically covered the league in this, this era essentially. So it's kind of a fun exercise more than yeah. not. What yeah. is it? What, what do you think? Do you think this checks out? Do you think, what is the best team to you of the, franchise, of the salary cap era? Best franchise. The Penguins. Because you're from Pittsburgh, Sean. <laughs> it's pu- it's, it, the Penguins yeah. still have it, and Tampa very very realistically could pass them in the next couple of years. And when they pass them, you say, you know, new face at the top. Way to go. But as it stands in 2023, you know, the team that has the longest playoff streak, a bunch of financial success, the best player, and the most Stanley Cup wins, they win. Sorry. You know, it's Homer shit for me. It's true, though. You, like, I, I want to come up with an argument in favor of the Lightning because that would be my next next one up because they've been good, like they've been good longer than people realize. But there was also the whole mm-hmm. like there was the era of right they're before cho- they got good. That was mm-hmm. kind of a train. And also, and, and also, it took them it took them longer to get over the hump yeah, than Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh was did, good, which right off the hop, essentially. which has affected which has affected. The point total, like if there's a few years at the start of this where Tampa maybe, you know, goes on another run to the conference final or, or, or yeah. something like that, then the gap, the gap would be a little bit tighter than, than 52 points to 46 points, but it isn't because they did. I'm going to raise one more question because this, this reminds me just how long the Red, Red Wings rebuild has taken. All, the, all these other teams at the top have, are swinging back around, like the Kings and yeah. the Black, well, I don't know the Blackhawks, I don't know, I'll leave them out of it, but. Uh, you know, these the, the Bruins kind of did a reset. The Capitals believe they're going <laughs> to the do so. The Blackhawks have only been bad. The Blackhawks have only been bad for three years. Yeah, like, the Red like, Wings we've, spun I, we've into like a ditch. And ourselves, I don't know. I think. I, I'm looking mm-hmm. at it going, what's got to like? What's got to happen for them to get back into this conversation? And they're not even close. They need a free agency piece. In some, 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 they should find some way to do like a sign and trade deal. Whether it's the Brinkett, whether it's another center, whatever it is. Somebody should want to play there. We've said this before. I like Eric Carlson to Detroit. A major, a major player, a major player should force his way to Detroit because the amount of money that that you'd make, even if it's just on local promotions, you'd be on TV all the time or uh, local endorsements. You'd be on TV constantly. Like someone should turn the screws in and land there. It's a it's a good team that's just missing someone. You know, another another A plus piece. So they should lean into it. They should. Heisman should, th- Heisman should threaten somebody. Really scare scare the hell out of out of one of his out of one of his peers. I mean, there's. I agree. I, like they, it's time for that. Like, yeah, they they need to get back up. It's it's. You're at a point where you can really question what's going on because it's taking so long. And I, I think a lot of it is bad luck. Really, like a, you know, a lot, a lot of, of bad luck. luck. A lot of picking fourth through seventh or whatever. And you can't sit there and say they've missed. So that's a big part of it. Um, but it's as they drop down these rankings, because if you had done this five years ago, they probably are so locked in at the top or near the top that, you know, they haven't added, they have the same by this, by this method, according to this rubric, yeah. they have the same amount of point totals now that <laughs> are the, the, the same point total now as they did in 2016. Yeah. They have, they literally haven't added a single point, you know, to the franchise ranking number in seven yeah. years. Which like, and they're still six overall. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean that just shows how good they were. It shows how good they were, and it shows how terrible they were. All been. right, 
We're going to take a quick break. While you're listening to the, break, the, the great ad reads by Sean, which I'm sure are really good this week, give us your nominations for our final awards show ever. The American Awards. We, we're depending on you, listener. <laughs> we'll be right back. We are now thrilled to be joined by Patrick O'Sullivan. You know him as most those of you in the United States, hero of the 2004 World Junior. Really, that's that's all we want to talk about is glory days with the with the U.S. program, Patrick. If we can, <laughs> that, uh, that would be perfectly fine with me. I would agree. <laughs> most people know me from that, and most Canadian people know me as the guy that ruined their weekend. When, that's uh, right. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. We love it. <laughs> Patrick, we we wanted to have you on uh, for any number of reasons. Um, you know, you we, we can get into whatever we want here. But producer Jeff is you and him were close working together at Sirius. Um, we're, Sean and I are going to be leaving in a few days to go to Nashville for the draft, yeah. and it's and we and Jeff even sent us the the famous picture of you all. You know, what was it, the 04 draft or oh three draft? Yeah, oh three. Right? Yeah, twenty years ago in Nash. And I love, you know, does it seem like yesterday or a million years ago when you think of like that moment in time? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the common answer to questions like that is it feels a little bit like both. And I, yeah. I feel like I kind of fit into that. I mean, a, a lot's happened in 20 years that uh, that draft was, you know, from from purely hockey element, which I'm guessing we'll probably get into is so deep with really good players. and. Um, I just remember going into the draft knowing that like, I don't know. I don't know if that's always the case, but, but I, I would like to just share that little tidbit about that age group. Um, it was very deep and everybody kind of knew it. And even I go back to when I was 10, around 10 years old, I played, uh, I played in a summer hockey tournament and Ovechkin had, was on a team from Russia. And the team that I was on ended up having six or seven guys that played in the NHL, right? So, mm -hmm. which is very uncommon at that age. <laughs> yeah, very uncommon. Uh, a group of 10-year-olds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm bringing it up because he, he scored, I think he scored eight goals in the game. We lost, I think he, we, we lost eight, six, and he scored eight goals, right? So, oh my gosh. As, as kids growing up, like, I think the really good players, you always kind of know that you're good and you're comparing yourselves, you know, to other players. And then, um, it's not really until you start playing internationally that you realize it's like, Oh, there's all these other really good players because there's people outside of North America. So I think, um, that was one thing that was pretty cool going into, going into that draft. And, uh, it does on one hand feel like it was yesterday i had a unique experience given my family situation at the draft so there's always all these little kind of extra things that go along with the normal draft experience which i still really i really enjoyed it i had yeah i think i had in some ways a very similar you know experience to most people who get picked and um i remember that day very clearly and um you know, like at the same time, it's 20 years of my oldest son is 12. Hmm. So, you know, a lot, there's a lot of things that, that's that happened. Yeah. yeah, that a lot's happened and it, it does feel like it's, it's forever ago. And I'm just glad people get to go to Nashville and experience that city for the, <laughs> the draft weekend. I may or may not have been seen out 
a couple nights that a time I or two, should, a time or two. Yeah, and maybe that weekend that wasn't the best decision, but uh, <laughs> I would advise the players to, as hard as it might be to just stay in the hotel at least till the draft part is over. Nah, they're gonna be sneaking in. The, they're gonna be sneaking in the back door at Tootsie's or whatever. Right? Something, I hope so. some, I hope some, so. something tells me they're gonna find their ways in, into the various. Uh, There's nobody in the hockey world judging anybody for going out in Nashville. Like that's the one city where it's like, you know what? If, it, if we were anywhere else, it would be. Uh, we would. This would be a red flag. Can, all right, before we before we get into that O three draft, because I do want to run. I'm gonna for people who aren't like studied on it, we'll run through some of the names. But what was ten year old Alex Ovechkin like? I need to know. I did yes. not know this story. I mean, it's very similar to what you see now, and and like the type of player that that he is. He's just and maybe <laughs> was he, that's his he, was a, he was he was he was six one one ninety five or whatever at that point. <laughs> he, he, he was he was he was relatively big for his age. I you know I remember. I, I it was just it was just jarring because I, I just looking at it through the lens of a of, of a player who was good for my age and and also having many others on that that very specific team. And then this other player just being better than everybody else. It was just so clear that mm. he was better. So, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, as, as you get older, you realize like he actually has a later birthday. So he wasn't even in our draft, right? He was, he was the next year, 2004, but he could shoot. He, he, you know, he played a very similar style. And I think, <clears throat> I think that might be his greatest strength is just knowing what he is and, and yeah, okay. You make small adjustments and you get a little bit slower over time as you, as you get older as a player, but he's always stuck to what he does well. And, and I, I think a sidebar to that is how much he loves hockey and scoring. Yeah. yeah. So much, so yeah, like it's clear to see and, and everybody knows that now. And, and there's, there's been a lot of probably stories done on that specific thing, like just how much he loves to score. But I think that that's one thing that, that gets stripped away from a lot of players as they become NHL players because mm-hmm. of a couple of reasons. It's obviously very hard to score. So a lot of guys end up becoming something that they, that they weren't maybe as, as a younger player. And that's part of what you have to do to, to make adjustments to stay in the league if you aren't going to be a purely offensive guy. But it's so much of the NHL is about winning and kind of. You you are part of the team. Whatever is best for the team is is what's best for you, and that mindset is very important. And you need that certainly need that to win. But he see, he seems to have always been able to keep that individual passion for scoring. And when you can do it as well as he can, it's obviously going to help your team in in tons of ways. And I think um, you know, to go back to the question, at, at 10 years old, you could see that. It was like, this guy just wants to score every time he touches the puck. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. All right, the, so the 03 draft. And while we run through this, if if you're listening and you want to just Google Dion Phaneuf frosted tips to, to play along with the <laughs> it'll photo. T- it'll tell, you, it'll tell you everything you need to know. It'll tell you everything you need. So this is the draft where Marc-Andre Fleury goes one. Then it's Eric Stahl. Then we're just going to fly down Vanek and Ryan Suter and Dion Phaneuf and Jeff Carter and Dustin Brown and Zach Prise and Ryan Getzlaff and Brent Burns. I mean, Kessler, Mike Richards. This is Corey Berry, Patrick Eves. That's just round one. Louis Erickson. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So what a Shea Weber. We're getting into round two. And, and 
like I, so one of the things I always thought I was going to do was an oral history of this draft. Like I just think the story, the storytelling behind it, and there's some Mark Andre Fleury stories even going at the top, like that Ellen Walsh has shared. Like mm-hmm. you know, like like just it's it's wild. Um, was it one of those where you kind of knew where you were slotted? I mean, even right after you, it goes Bacchus and Jimmy Howard and like um, Danny Carcillo. I'm un- just unreal, and this goes on throughout the whole draft. It was un- just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, the the depth, like I touched on it earlier, we knew going in that like you, you never know for sure, obviously, that that a player is going to have success at the NHL level, even if they're good before that, right? But it felt like we, we all kind of knew, and maybe it was just the way that the players in that age group played. And what I mean is, like, you knew right the way Ryan Kessler played, yeah, he was going to be an effective NHL player, and you know, there's there's a long list of other guys. You look at where Bergeron was drafted. It, it, it's funny. It's almost oh, yeah. meeting <laughs> now, given how good he is. But um, didn't even bring him up, by the way. When, I, when, when so, we're, when, I mean, when I was just running down list. the draft. I didn't even get to what was it round three? It's crazy. He's. I think he was sec- He was in the second round, but he's the second round. You know, yeah. like Pavelski's pick late in that draft, and there's there's. <laughs> I, I think it's the best draft depth wise for sure. You, you might say there's some others with with more star power, quote unquote. But one thing yeah. that's happened with the old three draft is guys have played so long. It's like you, you get obviously the, the recency bias of what you see, like watching Eric Stahl in the playoffs doesn't look anything like he looked. Go watch Eric Stahl in 2005. He's one of the best, yeah, players, like in the best players in the league. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. like, like, I, it, like an unbelievable player. And I played against him in junior and um, you could tell right away, you know? And so I just think that was the one thing with that that kind of group of players is you knew we knew you know we were competitive and i think that the international hockey element of all that really exposes guys to everyone around that age and so by the time you get drafted you already know who everybody is and you're looking to see well you know I, how good can i be as we enter pro hockey right and i think that that group was just a really competitive um talented but also kind of I would say welcoming to the idea that I just want to play in this league. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that careers have taken different shapes and whatnot, but I just think the longevity of that, that age group and the way guys were, have been able to adjust over time to be different types of players to continue playing. And maybe you, you, you end up hurting your points per game for some of them, but th- yeah, I, you know, that that's not anything a guy like that cares about anyways. Right. So right. just, just the depth, the overwhelming depth and um, like, just, I, you, you knew at 17, 18, 19, that, that there's a lot of pros here. Like there's a, there's a difference. And I think some, some people struggle with that these days when we talk about training players and teaching players, what's important and what isn't, and what's actually going to help them as they get older and that for whatever reason maybe it's just luck but that that kind of group of players from all over the world whether that's a coincidence or whatever but you, you just knew that it was going to be something that worked i don't you know i don't know if it's a, like if it's a coincidence or if you pushed each other in some way but I, I mean how who knows but like let's say you lop off this draft where it is now after seven rounds and we're going into this, these, this, this group would be the undrafted group. This would yeah. be Toby Enstrom, who I loved when I was in Atlanta, like yeah. just loved watching Toby Enstrom yeah. play 
like a player that you know people aren't thinking of right now, but was a great player. Dustin Bufflin, undrafted. Shane O'Brien would have been undrafted. Matt Molson in 200 career goals or whatever he yeah. scored. Like the, the Yarrow Halak, like these are all players after the cutoff now. I don't know. It's just, I love that stuff. I know. Unbelievable it's, group. It's deep. It, it's deep. And I, there, you know, I was looking at some stuff and people always talk about what's the best draft. I think depending on how you want to look at it, you might get a couple different answers. I think 2015 is going to end up being one that's uh, that's very good in 10 years. You look at it, it might, might yeah. be similar. But mm-hmm. uh, with 03, I just think the depth the depth that's there is is kind of hard to argue with. Superstars, at one time there were a bunch, maybe not so much now. I mean, there's only a handful left. But uh, if you want to talk about like, you know, this guy I want on my team because he's an NHL hockey player from right when he started hockey until it was done. And for some guys, that's right. longer than others. I, I just think that that draft's hard to argue with. Yeah, if you're putting together a lineup or whatever. Yeah, yeah if right, you want to exactly. if you want to ding that draft because there's not like a Mount Rushmore player on it, right? There's not. Yeah. There's like there, okay, Ovechkin and Crosby like aren't in it. Like okay, whatever. Like Patrice Bergeron. Like Ryan, like Ryan Kessler, who yeah, was like, who was like, Ryan, Ryan, Kessler, are... Kessler was one of the five best players yeah. in, 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 yeah. in, the, in the league. Like, like before he got hurt. I don't know, man. It's tough to, it's tough to find any, to any weak it. spots if, there. Yeah. If, if you just said like, we're going to build a team, we're going to build a starting. It, it has right, to, or, it has to be, it has to be them. <laughs> it has to be you guys, right? Like Jesus Christ. I would agree. I, I, I just think, I just think that. There, there's so many like different types of players too, and you know the Ovechkin one is kind of, uh, you know, he's he's picked if he's born two months earlier, he's in that draft. Crosby's a couple years after that, so I mean, I kind of when I look at yeah. you ask me about guys around my age, I mean, Crosby might as well be involved in that that same kind of three or four year. We didn't. We haven't. We haven't mentioned Nathan Horton, right? Who is who is who is in the draft? Like who if if he who, were healthy. Way, Holy hell! Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I, no, I, no, no, no. Well, please, I, I'm. I feel bad not mentioning him myself because yeah, yeah. he obviously some some players you don't see till you're 17, 18, whatever, right? But I feel fairly confident in saying he he was the best player of them all when we were hmm. kids. Mm. Um, like he he was absolutely dominant. He he did grow a little bit earlier than some other kids, but. He's, you know, he's, he, him and I played junior when we were 13, which now is not allowed, but Mm -hmm. we played junior B. Mm -hmm. He played in a different league, but it was the same level. And, uh, I saw him in minor hockey and he, he was unbelievable and obviously a very good NHL player too, hurt, hurt by injuries. Yeah. And the back stuff. I would say too, the way he was developed once he turned pro. He, he would have been, I think, been allowed to do some things nowadays that he wasn't back then. It was like, oh, you're big, so we need to do this. Oh, but he right. can shoot. He his skill set. He's so skilled. Oh my god, he was he was an amazing player. And it's it's like back then, 15, 20 years ago, if you kind of got in with a certain team that wanted you to do certain things, or maybe you were exposed to the NHL too early, which I, th- in my opinion, maybe he was, and he was forced to play. A certain way 
just yeah. to, be able to play at that level, right? You do sacrifice some development, but I mean, you could say that with, with lots of different players and the path that everybody takes is, is different. It's easy to look at things after the fact, but he, yeah, he was a phenomenal player growing up. Did somebody try to draft Alex Ovechkin in that draft too? That's right. The, the Panthers, was, the Panthers somebody, did. They tried to like argue. The they tried, to, tried argue. to argue him into it. Uh, it was <laughs> like if you ca- if you count leap years and all this other stuff. <laughs> that's, like, that's what it was. Yeah, that's right. It was the Panthers, I, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't have any. I don't. I can't remember the detail on that, but I do think <laughs> that's one that's of those things. Like I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's true necessarily. It, it's just. Uh, it's it, true. Is it true? It's 100 percent oh true. I know God. that. I've I've either written it or <laughs> wanted to write it, or but I've definitely talked to people about somebody like going to Gary or saying, "Hey, we think it's a. We we think we have a, a loophole here to draft <laughs> Alex Ovechkin in the 03 draft." I don't blame them for trying. <laughs> Um, so like you mentioned player development and how things have changed. And I love, this is a topic that I'd love to get into because I mean, this is a space you're in now. And, and when you talk about those changes, like where, where do you see the biggest difference between you take a group or you take a player like Nathan Horton or or yourself and that now versus then? Well, Well, I think there's a, there's a lot. I think, first of all, the, the idea that this, this type of thing is important to have, kind of built into your organization that that's alongside of that's working with the actual coaches, right? Whether they're the, the, the minor league coaches or the NHL level coaches, um, because you don't get a finished product when you draft the player, right? And, and so everyone wants to talk about, well, we're going to build through the draft and we're going to develop players, but where, where is the development? I can tell you firsthand where, when I was drafted, there was no development. It was like, well, you got to get better. And if you don't figure it out, you won't play. And it's like, you, you know, they've had development good plan. Camp, right after the yeah. draft and stuff for years. Like I, I went to rookie camp and all that, but it was like, it was just, it just felt like this, you know, and it would be like a normal practice and then a scrimmage. And it's like, well, where you, you don't, you haven't identified what I really need to focus on. You mm-hmm. haven't you haven't told me what I'm good really good at either. It's more like you're skilled and maybe you're a little bit undersized, so like you better get harder on the puck or you won't play in the NHL, which could be true, maybe not. But tell me <laughs> how. I would like to know how. Maybe you know, like let's build a plan. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I don't. I think for a long time, some teams won't paint everybody with the same brush, but there was a lot of teams who didn't understand the level that the their prospect was playing at enough. So therefore, if you're trying if you're trying to figure out, you know, what what does player A need to do to be an NHL player, if you're not able to kind of figure out what they're what they're doing at the current level that they're playing, what's a what's a reasonable expectation based on their skill set? What should their their um you know what what should kind of their numbers look like mm-hmm. right. as it relates to when they're getting the puck and, and maybe even just just the raw scoring numbers or whatever else i just think you're you you leave a lot to chance and i think that's kind of slowly changed right so that that part has only helped you know some organizations or maybe more than others but i think that's that's a critical part for actually developing the players because otherwise some will make it but mm-hmm. I think maybe not as many as 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 you could get if you put the proper yeah. time and resources into into that part. 
from what you've seen, has it been a gradual process there or, or have there been times where it just sort of like, like watershed, like leap ahead moments where it was like, were, like, was there, a, was there a point where teams were like, all right, we need to cut the shit and actually, and actually <laughs> devote more time, place. more time and more money and, and more resources to this? Or has it just been kind of gradual, more of a gradual come up? That's a good question. I think as a player, you're kind of only aware really of what your organization is doing. And so if I just look at that question from, from the standpoint of my career, I feel like, uh, you know, I didn't play super long, but eight, nine, 10 years, there really wasn't much of a change for me mm-hmm. seeing, seeing that and, and even talking to, to other players I know around the league and stuff. Uh, and then once you become quote unquote an NHL player, that's one thing that's also different now. It's, Hey, I don't care how old I am, uh, or where I'm at, what I've done. I need to get better. I want to get better. That's really how I think this, certainly the, this business for people like me has become something that's viable and really important is because the players want it. And I think. When certainly the, let's say the first half of when I was playing and then you go from being somebody who's just trying to make it to, okay, now you're a player on the team that the coach wants in the lineup day to day. It's almost like, poof, everything goes away. I don't need to get any better. I'm on the team. I'm doing well. Well, now, and I don't know exactly when this shifted necessarily. I would say maybe five, six, seven years ago would be my guess. Yeah. And it's driven mm-hmm. by the players. And I know, Craig, you've talked to, to Dolphrey a lot and, and he would have more because he information about that kind of shift because he was doing this when I was playing. So I don't know yeah. the timeline as well. But like, I think it's it's driven by, I think, the players wanting to continue to get better. And the best players I've worked with and seen want to get better more than... Than, than some of the players who actually need the help more, right? So part of it's a realization. Part of it's just being driven to be the best, and that's how you kind of get there in the first place, right? But um, I think – I certainly think teams know they need this type of thing in place. That The organizations who I think have figured out what type of people and the types of things those people should be doing – I know I'm kind of speaking in bland terms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference between throwing a guy on the ice who's quote unquote skills coach and someone on the ice that knows the players really well and mm-hmm. what, you know, there's some context attached to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, we could do an entire separate podcast about what's actually helpful and, and what's, what isn't and what maybe looks like it's helping because by the end you can do something better than you did at the beginning of the hour when you started. But, uh, we're talking kind of the the big picture organizational beliefs, and this is what we need our players to do. We have to help them get to the point where they're efficient in these different types of things so that when they're ready to play in the NHL, it's not, wow, this is really different. Or I have a bunch of my own kind of things I do well. I just, I'm hoping this works, or I'll, I'll maybe the coach will get lucky and find a place to put me. It will be, you know, maybe a small bit of tactical insight that the player already has, right? Because yeah. that's what we want to do as an organization. But, you know, they're, they know how to, they know to, to simplify it. They know how to protect the puck when, you know, someone's coming from a certain angle and, and what that will do for them 
coming out of a turn when they have to protect the puck. It's it's like that's already kind of built in for them because they've seen it. They've seen it on video. They've seen themselves, maybe some other players. And there's a bunch of things that don't work in the NHL. <laughs> so that's part of it, too, is how can we help these guys realize maybe before they even get there? Yeah. The head coach can't be the person that tells a 20-year-old kid, hey, like, this is not going to work. Right. Like that has to happen right. way sooner. And maybe that's maybe the best way to summarize this whole shift in this area of the game is that no longer happens for most for most teams. Right. And that that means there's a bunch of other people involved in trying to help somebody become an actual NHL player. I think I can almost pinpoint it. There was I don't know if, if it was five or six years ago, but I think there was a generation of players that came in so skilled and fast. Um, because they were getting that training young, maybe in a way that others weren't. I would I would talk to pe- players in like their mid twenties who weren't old, mm-hmm. but they were like, "I feel old because these kids are coming in, yeah. and the only way for me to keep up with them is to now figure focus out. on my own skills yeah. and figure." Like it wasn't enough just to like be the old man in the room and out muscle. It was like there was just this shift where these kids were coming, like the speed in which they were playing and making plays at high speeds. It just changed because I think they were getting so coached up at the skills level coming up since they were, you know, and I just remember talking to players that were blown away by 20 year olds coming in, doing things they'd never seen. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you could see it by that point. I, I had been, I'd been done playing, but there's guys my age still playing at that point that I know and the communication yeah. that takes place, just talking about the game and stuff. And um, even before I kind of got into what I'm doing now, doing some of the media stuff I was doing, you could clearly see, some some of these kids are coming in. Maybe they don't completely understand how to use their skill set, or they need right, some adjustments. Right. They need some adjustments to help them be more effective. But they were they were certainly coming in at a you know qualified enough to to really kind of be impact players right away. And that used to be really rare. Part of it is too the organizations and and the the coaches day to day, the bench coaches we can call them. Um, willing to have those players too and not force them to be something that they're not. So if I pick you in the second round, I must really like what you do, right? So uh, my vision of that would be how can we get something similar to what we already like to be something that happens at the NHL level instead of saying, oh, you, you're good, but you played junior and none of that stuff's going to work. We need to get you to do this, to, you know. So balancing all that out and also allowing a player to be who they are and encouraging that while obviously teaching them. And and if they're doing something that's continuing to to not be effective, then we need to make some shifts there. But I think that that kind of goes hand in hand with for sure kids getting training that wasn't available when they're 10, 11 years old. And look, I, I see it now firsthand. I do it with my own kids and I coach my older son's team. So we, we do all kinds of stuff that, I didn't do really as a pro, not that it's complicated. It's just the idea of these types of things will help you as you move along in hockey. Let's work on them. Let's work on the, you know, like there's, there's lots of different ways you can work on skating. If you have a significant flaw, maybe you need some isolated skating help from a power skating coach or whatever. But I think there's a lot of ways you can work on skating now that just didn't exist before. And so now, especially these some of these American kids that have been in this this development system they've had for 10, 12, 15 years, 
it's showing through. And Craig, I wouldn't be surprised if you've, I don't know your bat, your catalog by heart, but I'm sure you've done some sort of a story on the development program. And I played there and, and going yeah. back, that's 20 plus years ago for me, it was already starting to happen there. And so I think now that's just the way things are. And, and, and the fight though, unfortunately, is there's a lot of people who try to take advantage of parents who have kids that are pretty good players and they're looking for help. And there's a lot of people who just, they get 20 kids on the ice and they're just collecting money. Right. So I think right. that's, you know, one of the, the, the downsides to it is it's become such a business and people just want their kids to get better. They sometimes end up taking them somewhere that, that is maybe not going to help them, but uh, there's enough, there's enough good people and, and there's enough information too. Like if you just go on the internet, you can, yeah. can kind of sort it out. Right. Like, here's another thing that I'll say, if, if the person you're working with has their phone out on the ice and they're filming whatever you're doing constantly with hmm. the idea that they're going to put that on Instagram, you need to go somewhere else. Like, because you're just trying to get content out of yeah, your yeah, living like, room. That's, if, that's if good. That that's, that's, func- that's functional <laughs> advice. That, I, yeah. That makes sense. Like, that guy is looking for the perfect rep. To put on his Instagram. Now, I'm not saying everybody who puts things on Instagram is like that, but there are many, and that's what the parents see. They're like, oh, that that kid looks like he can skate through this obstacle course really well. I'm gonna take take my kid there, right? So right. you know, to shift this into the, the minor hockey, kids hockey kind of realm, that's what you have to guard against. But there's no question the, the ability to skate and handle a puck and shoot that an 18-year-old player has now compared to when I was 18, the average ability level is much higher. Yeah. I don't think the better, the best players are much better personally. Right. right. But I think the mid to the, the bottom tier of quality hockey players is, is, is better. Something that always interests me about guys like you who end up in jobs like the one that you have is the balance between taking your own experience as a pro and taking the experience of guys like Nathan Horton, who, who, who you watched and stuff and stuff that you witnessed and synthesizing that with maybe newer concepts or stuff that would be better for the individual that you're working with and finding that balance between like, all right, here's what I know, here's what I experienced and here's what's best, you know, maybe for this player that I'm teaching in, in, in 2023. Is that, is that a challenge? Is that something you feel like, you know, the, a, a push and pull, you know, versus your exper- your lived experience versus you know maybe what's uh, what what's what's best in in a, in a given in a given time period. Yes, Sean, that's actually I think the secret to being good at this type of thing is especially if you played, you have to guard against. Well, I played, and this is how I did it. And, you know, and, and, I, and I, I'm not I'm not trying to dump on those experiences either, right? Because that's that's super valid, important stuff. Like. A, like right. a plus imp- that's why you're that's why people come to you for for this advice is because you have that firsthand experience you're like I'm, I'm not trying i'm not trying to slag it or anything but but there but there's got to be like a no, no. counterbalance you know 100 percent. and if you played at a high level that's actually like what if if you are aware of the other things you need to be aware of and if you continue to educate yourself and if you can continue to, to have this understanding that I don't know everything and I have to continue to make myself better, then 
the fact that you did play and have all these experiences is kind of the thing that puts you over the edge versus a lot of other people. That's the way I viewed it. And there's some other people in this industry that I've come across that don't view it that way. And I think um, your ability to help somebody becomes your your pool of players you can help, I guess, becomes much smaller. Because if you're only going to use your experiences or or you only have these these certain set beliefs on how you can help somebody, there's going to be a bunch of players that don't fall in to, to that kind of that system that you're using. They don't, they're, they're outside of your range of capability. Right. So, um, that, that is, I think really important to, to at least go into each situation thinking, well, this guy's a left winger. He shoots, he shoots well, and he's my height. I know, I know. I'll just tell him what I did. Right. But, (laughs) um, right. At the same time, I think if you were a, a, a really, you know, you were, you were a good player at, at, a, at a high level, the things you can teach to, to, you know, not all players because some of it's position dependent or maybe what they're already good at or not. But the things you're, you were really good at, you can certainly get people's attention with those. And, and if that, those players you're working with do need that area. I mean, you definitely have to leverage what you have, right? No matter what you do. And I think any, any type of business, um, or, or if you're teaching something that, that what you do well, you want to try to find a way to use it, you know, as often as you can. And that's something I talk about with, with players and other people who do this job. Um, you can't just focus on the stuff that you want to do better at. Like you, you need to have a better understanding of what you do well. And we need to find more ways for you to do that thing or multiple things hopefully if you're a really good player so um i just think it it sounds kind of like a cliche thing but you do really have to continue to to focus on how can i get better what can i learn who can i listen to you know what can i watch and i think just that that mindset helps you remain open-minded and you have to I think approach it day to day and the people who learn from the players they're working with. And even sometimes it's, it, it, it'll be a, a kid that I, I'm trying to get them to do something. And uh, I try not to be overly explicit with directions and there's, cause there's different ways to do the same things. And so sometimes I'll, I'll try to set a drill up to where, uh, there's the players being pressured from this side and, and I know where the space is that he should eventually get to. And I'm seeing if he can figure that out for himself. And sometimes even a 12, 13 year old kid will, will do that in a way that maybe I wasn't expecting. Right. So right, right. you don't, you don't always exactly know what someone's going to be able to do. And I think you got to be real careful with saying there's only this way that you, you know you have to do it and if you don't do it that way it's it's not it's not going to work right so and i think that's ultimately with this with player development you're trying to take someone where they are and help them along to the point where we would they would like to go whether that's from one level to another from from minor hockey to junior college or um if you work with pro players everybody wants to get to the nhl so how how am I going to help that player get from where they are to where they want to go? Mm-hmm. It's not just telling them 
things I learned from Rob Blake. Like that's not <laughs> that's not going to be the answer. It might help. <laughs> there's there's a there's a, there's a piece to that right, but there's a lot of work and time that goes into okay. And and the more you do this, the more players you see, and and then there are certain cases that present themselves in a very similar way. And once you study a player, you can see what they do well and what they don't. And if you have an effective way of of doing that, you can kind of get past certain things a lot quicker and you can get through to the player in a way that lets them kind of latch onto some things. Because the last thing a player wants is, this takes me three months to feel like I'm getting anything out of mm-hmm. our, our work, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's where the, the video stuff goes hand in hand with, with the on ice. You mentioned kind of to really succeed or to stand out, you can take your base of experience and then kind of keep learning. Where do you, where do you turn to learn? Like somebody w- that has your so much experience, like you have to probably seek it out to, f- to learn something new, right? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think I've, I've studied anything I can get my eyes on basically. Yeah. So anything that exists, uh, especially pre Instagram, like I, I don't want to put that, that, kind of platform down i'm sure there's some great mm-hmm. stuff on it but if 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 you go and look like daryl belfry is a great guy that you can if you type his name in and i give him credit for leaving all that stuff up i know it's all it's all still there. there from years yeah. and years ago right and i know for sure that he doesn't necessarily even believe in some of it <laughs> and maybe he's even said that i don't i don't know anymore because you you evolve right you, you evolve right but it's like his whole kind of process is, is out there, which I really respect. And um, so whether it's him or other player, people, I worked with Adam Oates for about a year and a half, um, which was which was really interesting. Very, very smart guy. A lot of really good players go to him. His skill set's kind of very specific and, and helpful to elite players. I think they're looking for something and uh, at the same time, he's been able to help some, you know, the the sixth defense and seventh defenseman type of player too. And so you never know um, what you're going to learn for from different people. And so, but yes, like you said, you do have to seek it out. If you just say, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna wait around," and you know, I played, and I'll, some stuff will come to me, or people will just come to me. Like there's a lot of kids I work with now, 15, 16. They don't even know who I am. They have no mm-hmm. idea. They might type it right. in, but. Uh, that certainly isn't anything that that I'm going to rely on for trying to help help players or, or certainly get someone interested in in working with me, right? Like you have to have the knowledge, like we just talked about with the previous question, and and so you know, seeking out different people to have conversations. Um, I go. Uh, you guys know what Live Barn is? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's just a streaming camera service, basically. That's in a lot of arenas. A lot of a lot of most NHL crazy. Yeah, yeah. most NHL teams will block that if they have that in their practice facility. Some don't. So Mm -hmm. I'll use that to watch. Hmm. Which I guess if you're allowing people in, uh, you have to. I I I want to see what other people are doing. I find it really interesting, and so I I will go and do stuff like that if I need to. Um, I think you get just watch practices or whatever. Yeah, like, practices. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Huh. So, I think you get to a point where you have some sort of a a rough outline of what you do, 
And you do have yeah. to believe in kind of like, okay, this is what I do. I have to be flexible. I have to have different ways to do different things and, and still be able to help the player. But this is kind of my system of doing it. And yeah. depending on how old you are and how good you are um, and, and what type of player you are and what you need, what your strengths are, uh, some of it starts to, to, to kind of plan itself out. And then depending on where you're at in, in, this, in the calendar, um, then you're doing what you need to do with the player, whether it's on the ice. In the season, I have a lot of clients where I just do video stuff with them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of junior college pro players, I think they like that because it's it's a third-party opinion. And if it's never mm-hmm. counter to what a coach, a head coach is telling someone, then I think a lot of the organizations or, or certainly the college junior teams, because they don't have obviously the budget to have someone like that on staff. So a lot of the players tell their, their schools or their teams what they're doing and they really like it because it's just, it's free development for them. There doesn't cost them anything. Right. So, um, but yeah, I think just anything, anything I can see, you know, any, anything I can find going to watch different, uh, different things live if possible. Yeah. Uh, is is I think the the answer to continuing to find stuff that you might be able to help. This is a conversation for another day because we're up against it. But NHL teams don't always love it when the skills coach there's an independent skills coach working with their players. That's, I always love that tug of war. I know. I, <laughs> I think some of that is is rooted in maybe the relationship that certain people had with that individual at different yeah, stages. Sure. That's as much as I'll say. I, I do yeah. know some, some circumstances. <laughs> a lot of talking you'd code yeah. here, but that's all right. Yeah. yeah. Some circumstances with, with, uh, with an individual where it, it's, it's not like, well, we, we don't think you're doing something you shouldn't be with our player. It's more like, well, we, you know, we had a situation that we didn't like in the past, maybe, and we'd rather you not do that. But right. I think, um, the best way, I, what I would say as, as, as someone trying to help a player that's playing in a system and with a team that, that I wouldn't be a part of necessarily, um, you can't help the player unless you're helping the player do the things that is, the coaches want them to do there. So in, at no point would, would be telling them to do something that their coaches don't want them to be doing would not help the player. So if you're strictly interested in that, which is what this job is, then mm-hmm. there never would be an issue with that, right? So I think that's kind of my approach. There's always things you got to be careful with the type of language, maybe that the coaches are using. Different words can mean they're usually it's fairly similar, but I find there's a lot of gimmick language that goes on with head mm-hmm. coaches because they're trying to simplify something for the entire team. If we're talking about the four check, mm-hmm. I might apply a term to F1 or what their job is, and I try not. I find when you don't use those terms, the players listen differently because they're so used to that stock kind of language. And I'm not saying it isn't helpful from a team standpoint because I do think it gets everybody on the same page. But if you are forechecking and your stick is in the wrong lane, if I start talking about other more generic basic stuff that you do as a coach because you're trying to get the general message across, you kind of lose that individual direction or attention being brought upon where your stick is right because you might right. you might be skating in a, in in an angle or on an angle that's correct but your stick's in the wrong spot maybe that gets addressed with your team maybe it doesn't but i'm just using an example of trying to get the players also a big part of this is 
getting them to watch themselves in a better way. Because everything now with Instat and all the other ways that teams are supplying video to the players directly, I would be surprised if, if, if anyone doesn't watch their own shifts, right? Like yeah. game to game, maybe it's not right after the game, but at some point you're going to watch at least some of it, right? So um, part of what, what I do, I think, is helping players watch themselves and, and you know, what are, what are the, the, the things I need to make sure that I'm seeing when I watch my own shifts that are going to lead to kind of the, the bigger picture success. If I'm an offensive guy, am I getting the puck enough in these spots, right? Like, yeah. you don't need yeah. me to walk you through that. You can do that yourself. But I do think, especially if I'm 16, 17 years old, you need to be taught sometimes, not always, sometimes how, how to do that. And so I think that's part of it too. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this. This is an awesome conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I haven't done anything yeah. like this in a long time. I, so we could keep going for another 45 minutes, honestly. I really, really wish. I'm we surprised could. Jeff isn't sending us the the clock emojis. Um, but this was this was great. And um well, let's yeah, do it congratulations again. on all the success. Love to, and let's catch up down the road. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. You know, Sean, my favorite part of that conversation with Patrick O'Sullivan was imagining 10-year-old Alex Ovechkin. Like looking exactly <laughs> how he does now, only like a miniature version, like gray hair. And it's always like I always love whenever the whenever the two of us like fight over asking a follow up. <laughs> wow, you were thinking about asking <laughs> that question. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. <laughs> uh, yeah, as I said, great, great stuff from Patrick. Psyched to see what what he does next too. Yeah, you feel like he's probably into something good. He said, I, I bet you, you know I what? Guess, I, I bet you Patrick lands on his feet with what's next. <laughs> lands on feet or uh, continues so, the success. Uh, something, something tells me that, that it's all going to work out for Patrick O'Sullivan, yeah. yeah. I would also, really quick, just a, a, a plug. We didn't get into it at all, but it, um, if you haven't read his book, Breaking Away, it's, it's an excruciatingly hard read. It's called, I'm going to give it the full title, the proper respect here. Breaking Away, uh, Harrowing true story of resilience, courage. I can't read my own writing in triumph. And it's, it's you know, gosh, it's a tough read, but it talks about, you know, the abuse he went through um, from his dad. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an important read. If, if for no other reason, it might encourage somebody to say, hey, that dude at the rink, that other dad seems like he's not a great dude. We're not... We're gonna go beyond just asking the kid if he's okay. Like we're we're gonna, like mm-hmm. I think that was you know, when you read Patrick O'Sullivan's stuff on that, like that's the, always the big takeaway. It's like, hey, all it takes is one person to act to save a child, and that person, he needed that person. So not to get serious for mm-hmm. a second, but read that. Book. No, it's, it's true. All right, we'll be right back um, with our final segment. How many questions have you looked, Sean? Do we have any questions? There's some, okay. yeah. We'll do a, we'll do we'll do a quick little spin through it because Patrick yeah. went so long. This is the only good segment on the show. Jump into the comments section in the Athletic app. Oh, folks, you tap, listen, you scroll around, you close your eyes, you cross your fingers, you go down and look to an episode that's probably hosted by me and Max since. <laughs> Buddy over there. What I miss one episode? 
your vacation property. Oh my gosh. Last week we talked about Michael Landlauer uh, officially buying the Sens, and we had a great talk with Greg Cronin, new Ducks coach, who uh, we checked in with. He was in New York at that point, but had driven was driving back to Boston from from Denver, uh, his previous job. And, and Greg was Greg was just a blast. He was insightful and um, really gracious with his time because That's that awesome. dude that dude has a lot on his, has a lot on his plate. Right? He was he's meeting up with guys. You know, across the country, where he talked to Troy Terry and a bunch, a bunch other dudes, and I think I think we caught him when he was staying overnight with one of his friends in New York. So, great stuff from Greg. Really interesting. If if you haven't listened, it's worth your time. But these comments are from that episode. Michael K wants to know if we're going to get Max in here as the permanent co-host. Not if I have anything to say about it. Yeah, I. Oh, if I have a say in it. Max better start warming up his vocals. Yeah, he's going to replace me. Jason K. This question is for Sean. I'm traveling out to Pittsburgh for my beloved Pirates. Uh, strike one, Jason. I'm so- sorry to hear that they're your beloved Pirates. Ugh. My wife, a pit grad, suggested we need to go to the O and was distraught to find out it closed during COVID. Do you have a suggestion to visit that is of the same ilk? I like when I like when the comments or when the segment just kind of devolves into like me talking about Pittsburgh stuff. Always happy to do it. The O is a hot dog shop on on the University of Pittsburgh campus, Craig. Closed during COVID, been replaced by a very average taco place that is not worth your time. Can I you always hear me just, scrolling to the next question right now. I, I'm, I'm I always just say question. if you're in Pittsburgh, just go to Fatheads. Great sandwiches on the south side. You, if you go there during the day, you can bum around and it's a cool it's a cool neighborhood. If you're looking for hot dogs specifically, uh, go to D's in Regent Square. You're welcome, Jason. Moving on. Do you hey, have? Do you, can I take did one? You, I got one. I have plenty yeah, of time. Fine. As you're talking about hot dogs in Pittsburgh. I'm gonna, God. Mm. What a, you think people want to listen to that? Yes. I do. Nobody's going, oh, thanks. I'm going to go visit that hot, hot dog stand and <laughs> whatever. It's not, a, it's not a stand. Random. It's a restaurant. It's got good beer. You probably don't even drink, fancy boy. Too good for, too good for oh, beer over I there. I like a nice aged red wine. <laughs> Joe T. Joe T. writes, can't believe Greg Cronin badmouthed Denver International Airport. It's so easy to fly in and out of, and especially since he would take the toll road into DIA from Northern Colorado. We even have a train. Hashtag Tuesday Boys. I've got a few th- thoughts on this, Joe T. Mm-hmm. Thanks for bringing this up. I'm glad. One. You can sit here and bullshit about airport minutia, and yeah, I'm not allowed boy. to talk about wanna, restaurants in the city that I live in. You want to get me okay. going? Let's talk airport to somebody who's spent Eighty percent of his life in an airport. Um, a lot of people don't know this. The Denver airport may be haunted, so there's that. I there's all sorts of that. stuff going. On. I there's all there's like there's like um, occult stuff happening in there, and like, uh, like there's, there's all sorts of weird statue shit happening. with red eyes. Where if you catch it in the right angle, like smokes coming out of his ears or something. There's some the horse. It's really weird. What's the so, I'm Freemason stuff? I kept almost saying Stonecutter stuff, which is the fake Freemasons from the Simpsons, like and I couldn't, <laughs> and I couldn't pull the actual the actual organization. Uh, so so there's that. So Joe, yeah, I can't believe you didn't bring up that that part of it. I like the Denver airport, this, but the second thing, my favorite one, of my favorite memories traveling with my wife. We flew. We were just kids early part of our marriage we were flying to denver and then driving to vegas we rented a car and 
we're gonna just do a little bit of a western u.s great drive beautiful drive um but we get you know i'm like pumping up the rockies here we go we're all excited we get to the airport we get in the rental car and it's prairies denver yeah it's not yeah like when you get the airport you're in the middle of like kansas and so my wife appropriately said that John Denver was full of shit. I was gonna say, have you had you guys not seen Dumb and Dumber at this point? All right, it's the it's the entire joke. No, that the, was I was it was right on cue. I was very go, proud of her. Go to place for a layover in the Denver airport. There's like a new Belgium like brew pub with food and stuff that I feel like I've been to a half dozen times over the course of my life. That place is way t- it, the airport's way too busy. It's way too big. But if you can squeeze out a spot in there, it's in like a high it's in like a high traffic area. You're probably going to be close to your connection gate. They have good beer. They have good food. I feel like I spent a significant amount of time there over the last over the last probably uh, ten years. New Belgium Brew Pub. Okay. I mean, we can if you. I mean, I can also take this question from Shanna about Marriott points and airlines if you want to stay on topic. But I can't That's imagine. Fine. This is a really. Uh, this, it's actually a really good question because it's a different angle into it. Who do you think has more Marriott hotel and airline points? Hockey beat writer, NHL scout, NHL referee, or other officials? Uh, and the follow-up is, I imagine Russo is diamond platinum elite for Marriott points, which he is. That's correct. He is probably triple diamond for airlines, which he's. I'm sure he's whatever Delta. Whatever, I'm sure he's a Delta guy. He, yes. <laughs> yes, so, he, yes, he is. <laughs> Sean. I saw, I saw, I, Russo has a backpack that is embroidered with his name. It looks like something that was like handmade by somebody at, at, uh, at Marriott. Okay. And I, I know that Diamond Platinum Elite is the highest designation that a person could have. But when the first time I saw it, I swear to God, it was like, it was like they gave him like mega diamond platinum elite and the prize was like, here's a backpack that we made for you. Like in, in the, like it was like they ran, like he has a status that is so high that they just ran out of designations and like ran out of prizes. It looked like something that was like made for him specifically because he's the only person on the planet that actually has it. Yeah. So I, I would say Mike Russo probably is the, like in a category by himself. Because a, it is absolutely like an up in the air situation. It's like George Clooney in, in, in up in the air where he's just where they're, he, they're going to let him fly the plane if, if, if he wants. Yeah. Um, the, but I would say the next because Mike Russo has existed during this time where he's been a beat writer traveling to every single game since since he started and he started really young like Russo has been at it since he was like he was he went from like delivering papers to writing for the paper like we talked about it and so he quit school to be a beat writer like like yeah. he was he was like the panthers so he beat writer young, when he was and still now in he's college. old like us and so he's got this and he's never missed it wrote, like he's obsessive about it so, mm-hmm. so i i th- like i don't know who else would 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 have that but then i think the next one up would be officials like i think refs i think cuz they're on the road constantly. There's no, there's no home games. Like at least Russo has half of the stretch of the season where he's at home. So I think Wes McCauley or somebody, somebody in that, in that world can probably go toe to toe with Russo uh, with some sort of 
scouts I, scouts would have the edge in rental car points in like rental car status i feel like <laughs> you get points for mileage of the car you drove <laughs> you get, from hertz you get for the hertz quadruple uh quadruple titanium yes I wish I had my wallet. I just texted Cassie to bring my, my wallet, but I don't think she's going to get it in time while we're talking. I have from Marriott, because I'm Lifetime Platinum Titanium. It's a thick metal card that you drop on the counter, and it makes a loud noise. Whenever oh, I check in, I'm oh, like, oh, here, here's my Marriott. Oh, did I drop it? And it's like clank, and it chips the thing. It's so heavy. It's literally, I think it's made out of titanium. It's truly like like we check, we checked in a, a, the same hotel a couple months ago and I was like, Oh, thanks. Gold like you're it's like you're in year two of gold status. Thanks for thanks for you know, we we appreciate your business. And Craig comes in and it's like things the it's the oh, width the, it's the it's width of a puck. The the, the oh, titanium card? I, if I, <laughs> it, if I have it. I don't know if I still carry it around. Oh here it is. All right. This is I'm riveting, drop it on my riveting desk. shit. Okay, hey. Okay. You can't see this anybody, but let's see if we can hear it. Could you Didn't hear that? Hear all right, I'll move to T- my Tilt conference. your mic down. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so loud here. It's terrible. That's titanium. It's good loud. for you. Yeah, good for you, man. No, no I'm not <laughs> proud of it because you know what? Then they, they they tell you how long you've spent spent in a Marriott, like as a as a mm-hmm. father of children of actual mm-hmm. kids. Yeah, you I don't. Want I don't dad have, around. I, guess what? I don't have those either. Yeah. So well, stop it's talking. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling when they go. You've spent. And they break it down by year. They're like, you spent seven years in a Marriott. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you didn't have to say that. Marriott. How much is it actually? No, it's like they can do seven it by years. Year. I know, but like it can't be seven years though. Come on. I'll look it up. For, Come on. I'll look it up for the last show that we ever do together. <laughs> it's in this is, two weeks. Jeff, edit all of this out. <laughs> it <right>. sucks. <laughs> uh did you have another one or is there or, or was that it i i truly forgot what we we're what we we're talking about here okay yeah there's a henrik lundquist hall of fame you guys said something on that he's i mean a lock it's it's, it's no fun when there's no debate um, we'll, fi- we'll finish on that actually we we did do our mock hall of fame exercise this year um that was published this morning the inductees this is not much of a spoiler it was Lundquist, it was Alexander McGilney, it was Caroline Ouellette, it was Jennifer Botterell. Those were the those were the four inductees from our little you know straw poll mock mock ceremony this year. I don't think anybody in there is a surprise. I think it's a joke that Jennifer that we're still talking about Jennifer Botterell not actually being inducted, even though. The women's hall has, they have two spaces to induct women and they continue to fail to use them with this huge backlog that's coming as all these great players are coming down the pipeline. They somehow continue. That's insane. It's a joke. It it really is. It's, it's like it, it, they should be ashamed of themselves for, for screwing up on, on that level that they have over the last years. Because again, the limit is stupid to begin with. It's stupid to say like you can only vote for four men or two women a year. That is problem one. If you if you're if if you deserve to be in, you should get in because the end result is yeah. people end up having to make weird choices when you're like, all right, we need to organize this so one per so one of the so four of the six deserving people get in this year and we don't split the baby and screw things up. That's already a problem. The women's thing is a gigantic issue because 
nobody can seem to has been able to seem to agree who gets in over the last however many years. So it ends up being just one one a year, and that is going to be an enormous problem coming coming down the pike as more and more accomplished women, yeah, you know, come up gym. come up for an index. We're we're getting there. So there needs to be two every year for the foreseeable future, or else there's going to be a real real problem on their hands. And they and they and they and they biffed it last year already. So we'll see if they if they do the right thing because. Uh, the last couple of years have been a, been a joke. I wish there was more transparency in that process. It's like uh, cloak and dagger stuff. Also, split the baby is a saying. Stone, probably stone cutters. Have. Stone cutters. Split the baby? It's biblical. Is it? Oh, is it? <laughs> King, King Solomon. Passages that from oh, King Solomon, split the baby? The baby wasn't split. Oh. The, the, baby's, the baby's true mother gave it away so it wouldn't be cut in half. Was it Moses? I think I think we've exhausted my my biblical. Okay, my I would biblical see how far knowledge. I could go with that. <laughs> <sighs> well, 12, 12 years of Catholic school, baby. I don't know shit. But good sayings. Let's. Uh, I think that's it. Sean, listen. Can I just tell you what a pleasure it's been to do this show? With I'm gonna. You? I wanna take, I'm gonna kill you. I just want to take a few minutes as we wrap up here and say, you know, I know Max is good and she, but it's been, it's been my privilege and I, honor. Six days until we see each other in person. I'm going to murder this, you. To do this podcast with you. We have, we've had a lot of fun <laughs> for the years. Shut yeah, up. You can put like a little highlight reel and some slow music there. That would be great. I'm going to hang up on you. And yep. I want to thank Patrick O'Sullivan for joining the podcast. Oh, oh, one more plug. Get your American Awards nominations in. And if you mm-hmm. don't know what we mean by that, if you're new to the show, it's like, you know, best American performance in a playoff series. Best American on the Dallas Stars. Just listen to the, <laughs> you can just listen to the, ep- the episode from last year, which like realistically, we're just going to go and take all those categories again. And it's give fine. people credit. Yep. Um, you know, best American candidate to replace me on the podcast next year. Goodbye. 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 Um, also, what else? Oh yeah. Patrick O'Sullivan, producer Jeff. Thanks for lining that up. That was a great idea. Great, great segment. Um, Definitely subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at sign the athletic hockey show. Next week, Max Baltman and Corey Promen, they're gonna be in the slot in Nashville talking draft. It's gonna it's draft week. It, one of the most fun stretches in the calendar. I I am I mean, not just because it's in Nashville next week. I'm looking forward to next week a lot. I'm not I'm- you're not? Is your liver? I don't want to see your goofy ass. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. And happy new year.